0: All right, guys, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. If you're someone who is seeking uncommon results, this podcast is for you. Success, happiness, and wisdom. What do these words mean to you? I think we can all agree that we'll probably all have slightly different definitions of each. In these podcasts, I get to dive deeply into conversations with some amazing innovators, influencers, and trendsetters that have had different versions of how they define the terms yet have come out on the other side with amazing, uncommon results. At some point in their lives, they have decided to unshackle themselves from the norm and go beyond all boundaries. Well, welcome back to the show, Beyond All Boundaries, everybody. Um, I hope everybody's having a good start to the new year. Um, We're a couple weeks in and uh, you know, I have a great guest today, Mark Monroe. Uh, Mark is uh, an owner of TIA Asset, and um is involved in real estate and has just done a lot of things for, throughout his uh career a lot of different um different ventures and uh so we're excited to have him on the show today to kind of share some of his knowledge his wisdom and his insights of things that he's learned along the way and things that he's doing now to help in uh coach and and educate people across the, the the values of what he does so mark welcome to the show man appreciate being here
1: hey i appreciate it thanks so much thank you for the invite
0: you bet so why don't you um share with our listeners a little bit about a background about yourself and kind of who you are and and what you're doing right now. And we'll just kind of go from there.
1: Sure. I appreciate it. So I currently live in South Florida, uh, Boca Raton, Florida, uh, the Deerfield beach area. Um, But I grew up in a small town up in Vermont um, just at the base of Killington town called Rutland and population about 10, 12,000. It was, it was, people were great, um, grew up extremely poor. Um, and, uh, you know, I always had to get my handy downs or whatnot from, uh, my family and, you know, other relatives. And then, um, you know, at the age of 15, I pretty much, well, I actually started working much many times before, before that, you know, neighbors and mowing lawns or whatnot. But, you know, I start at the age of 15 and my first job, I was there for 10 years and, uh, started out at Mickey's McDonald's scrubbing toilets and uh, end up working my way up and through management. And, you know, they paid for my schooling and I can't, you know, they're great mentors. So it kind of took me in a good direction of learning the business and learning, you know, discipline in getting away from the wrong crowd, if you will. And then, uh, so after being there for 10 years, I was, I got transferred down to the Washington DC area. So I was in the DC area for about 10 years. And with McDonald's at the time, after you've been there for um, 10 years, you get two months paid vacation, plus your regular. So I took this class to learn a little bit more about loan originating for mortgages. So I took that class, and the uh, instructor, um, you know, he liked me. He goes, Hey, you're out of position. You want to work for me? So I had another month and a half to go. So I went over there and I worked for him, and I got the bug. And I ended up um, working with him for a couple of years and uh, teamed up with two other gentlemen. And then we started our first business, our uh, mortgage lending business up in the uh, DC, Maryland area, Virginia area. And uh, we blew that up and we actually, we had actually 107 employees after a couple of years and we blew that up and then, uh, yeah. And uh, just learned business along the way. And then uh, from there, ended up coming down to South Florida. That's what brought me down here and got into that whole dot-com thing. So in my twenties, I was making, you know, know, coming from such a small, poor little town in Vermont. I remember like two months, um, you know, as a child, like, remember the Kraft macaroni and cheese you know you get out of the box so for two months straight that's all we had for you know breakfast lunch and dinner you know for two months straight Kraft macaroni and cheese that's all my mother could afford to pay all of us to you know by the age of 27 28 you know being young and stupid making like thirty thousand dollars a month thinking that world is never going to end and then I end up coming to Florida doing another business and then uh, you know that business, I just kept throwing money into it. It's a .com, and I pretty much lost all my savings and had to start all over. And then um, yeah, so I just kind of worked different businesses, and I've been uh, you know that got me into doing the real estate banking, and I, I met investors along the way, and they became my mentors and. You know, just kind of learned business. And now I uh, buy and sell properties uh, throughout the country. Um, I work with a lot of people that want to get in real estate. I really specialize in creative financing, how to um, buying properties really with no money down um, through creative financing, you know, having the sellers carry the note. There's called um, purchasing existing mortgages, lease options. So I just know I've been doing it for over 20 years now. So I know all the different strategies of how to buy properties literally with no money and, um, and just help people grow and, uh, get into the real estate game.
0: You're helping those, um, people buy, uh, the properties with no money, with the creative financing. Um, did a lot of that come back from your, you know, original background of, of mortgage lending or has it been more sophisticated? I mean, obviously there's a lot of sophistication to it, right. But, um, is that kind of what, you know, kind of piqued the interest or
1: kind of kept you going along that same route? It did. Um, just from being in that, on the loan originating days um, and having my own business, um, helping investors and see how the investors were buying properties and how they're structuring and doing and using us as the financing and loans and seeing how it was done and then how they're selling it. Um, that's what really intrigued me. Um, and that's how I kind of learned it. And then also learning it over the years, I've kind of put together some of my own strategies using my own techniques and take, hey, this, a little piece of this, a little of that. And that's the beauty about real estate. There's so many different ways and so many different facets of creative financing. 95% of transactions are done your typical vanilla way with realtors and all that. And I can sit there and have a, I literally had a conversation with a real estate agent a couple of weeks ago, that's been in a business for 25 years. And I was trying to explain to them how I could buy this property through the existing mortgage, taking it over, put it into a land trust and uh, and then take over the property. And then what we do is we wrap it and sell it to an end buyer. So what I do is I really create an arbitrage. I, I'm, I'm using the seller's debt and putting it into a trust and then reselling it and creating an arbitrage. And a lot of people, it's hard for them to understand that. In doing so, your end buyer, you can actually technically buy a property using the seller's financing. And then the seller's like, oh, how am I going to get a loan? Can I use get another loan for another property? They can. And then also like the seller may have their equity in the property and you show them an amortization schedule where they can make more money holding a note and being the bank. You know, that's the Warren Buffett style. So that's kind of how I show sellers how they can make more money. Um, and then I help buyers buy a property if they have poor credit, but they have great income. We underwrite the loans, making sure they can qualify it running a debt ratio. So I am in the middle and when I do the middle, I take a spread in the middle so I can collect them, um, you know, two or three, $400 a month, creating that spread, you know, getting at a rate of like from the seller, like 3% and then selling it to the end buyer, like five or 6%. So you can create that arbitrage spread plus your, um, you can sell the price a little bit of that property for a premium so that's kind of where i specialize and that's kind of where i help a lot of people
0: so is there a lot of people that are coming to you learning how to do this methodology and is, are you coaching them and guiding them is there i mean looking at you know your, your company it sounds like you're doing a lot of that but i mean just more specifically if if someone's wanting to get into the the financing space do you coach them and guide them on, on how to do that as well
1: I do. Um, Really what I, I I have a a Facebook group where I do a lot of this stuff and I send everybody to the Facebook group. It's called creative real estate finance, um, creative real estate investing. That's what it's called, creative real estate investing. And in there, I'm always telling people, Hey, if you have questions, post them in there, I'll answer I'll do videos. I'll set up phone calls. And really what I do is I do JVs with them, joint ventures. So they'll go out there, find the deal, bring it back make sure the seller's motivated and, um, you know, give me a narrative about the particular um, property or the different deal. And then we'll, we'll walk them through it. And that's how I usually teach them. And then, so we, we partner up on the deals. So they win, they learn, I mentor them. And that's kind of how I learned the business many, many years ago on some of the different strategies. And then I do the exact same thing for people that want to come into the business, even investors that have been in the business, that are doing stuff that want to learn different types of creative financing. Um, The reason why is a lot of times when you're an investor, it, once you get to 12 properties, it's very difficult to get more loans the conventional way because that's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. That's kind of the limit. So what we want to do is you know, you want to um, you know, acquire an asset with very little capital so you can use that capital and deploy it to, through many different assets. So that's why we tend to do a lot of owner financing, um, purchasing that way. But you also got to make sure it's worthwhile for the owner financing. A lot of them love it. Especially with the downsizing or their retired landlord. So they're no longer, you know, they don't have to worry about that toilet leaking at two o'clock in the morning. They're the bank because what we do is we create a mortgage and put their their equity in a position. And so we have to pay them monthly. So that's how they are protected on it. And with the new people, I just kind of walk them through the process, show them how to do it and you know, just give them the techniques. And once they do between depending on the individual, about three or five of those transactions, they tend to pick up on it, how to do those type of transactions.
0: Do you say, um, what is the learning curve for, um, your students going through this and just gonna, it, on it,
1: average, it really
0: there's, you know, there's different medians, but like, you know, it is. Mean, you know, average. But what, what, it what is.
1: Um, I'm going to say realistically about four months, realistically, um, some sooner, some longer, it depends on the students, like are the individual, are they doing it full-time part-time? Um, and are they doing like what I suggest and coach them through, Hey, are you going to go do this? Or are you going to do that? Um, some people I had this one guy, like, I mean, he's just been at this for two months and he's already done five already, you know, just, and he's really quick you now. He's, he's a little different than the norm. I mean, this guy's hungry. He's out there. He's working really hard. Then I've had other people that I've been coaching, helping out for a year and they've only done a couple of deals. So it really depends on the individual, but it, it's not as quick and easy as people make it sound because there's so many different facets and even with people with experience, Um, even like realtors or even all the loan officers that understand they're used to the typical vanilla way. So you try to explain something and you have to, for them to kind of get their head wrapped around it and just kind of go through that process. But once you've done a couple, um, it works well. And then also making sure the hard part for them of the people learning creative real estate is how to communicate that to the seller and and educate the seller why it's beneficial to them as well. What
0: would you, so what would be like a couple nuggets in, I guess for, yeah. So walk me through that a little bit, walk me through that process a little bit, like to where the buyer and the seller, cause you're, you're, you're utilizing collateral, right. of The other asset and yes. you're getting creative with the mm-hmm. finance and collateral is, a you know, beautiful thing once you understand other people's money. Right. And uh, <laughs> but, but doing that. So what, what would be the downside for the seller going that route versus the traditional route or what, if, walk me through that a little bit.
1: Well, it, the sell, it really depends on the seller's needs. Do they need to sell that property to go buy another property? If they don't, then that's where the creative financing really comes into play. Or I've actually had one where a lady was in Orlando where she was behind in a mortgage payments. Her children used to live with her and it was a big house and she was getting ready to lose her property to foreclosure. And so well, in that case is um, we purchased it through creative financing. Um, we brought her mortgage current. We gave her some money to move because she was about to lose the house. There wasn't much equity in it. We saved her credit. And then we, what we do is we just put it into a trust. And then we make the payments on, on that behalf of the trust. And then what we did on our property is then we found a, um, a family. They have, they have very good income, but they had some credit challenges. So then we put them into the property. And we're selling it to them on a lease option a rent to own so what happens is once they've been making prop on payments in a property for approximately two years the lenders tend to give them a little bit more easier financing because now they have been showing payments on that subject property so they kind of get like an equitable interest in the property so it's a lot easier um and what i do is i'm so the purchase price on that one i purchased it i think for like 264 somewhere in that area and got to remember i came out of pocket with money And I turn around and sold that. Um, So I sell it for about 10% more of today's value as a premium. And that's kind of where I make my money. So I make my money when they purchase it at the end. So I sold that one roughly run around like three, I think 329, somewhere in that area. And then I also make some money uh, on the monthly cash flow. So on that one, I'm pulling in roughly about 350 a month. So I'm helping the seller out, saving her credit. Then we're also doing the end buyer um getting in so he's going to purchase the property so that was one case um but majority of them are people a position of the the asset and you and you maintain some of that cash flow correct yep so i'm creating arbitrage right exactly um but a lot of them also are straight owner financing where 40 percent of homes in america have no mortgage on them and a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know that so a lot of times people that want to downsize that had a family they want to downsize and they've already had money saved. So they will sell that property as like your typical, like I'll go through the process and Hey, you want to buy this at, uh, I'll buy this through owner financing. I give them 100% of today's value. Let's say, let's say the house is worth 300,000 the value and that's what they're listing it for. That's what they want to sell it for. And they sell it traditionally with a realtor. All right. Say uh, if a buyer comes in and they want to buy that property, what do you think their buyer is going to put in for an offer? Roughly, what do you think?
0: Less, maybe.
1: I'm sorry. Ten percent less. Yeah. So what do you think? Like you know, two eighty, they're going to offer two ninety. Yep. Okay. And then they have real estate commissions, and yep. you know that's about about six percent. Yeah. Yep. And then they're going to also sometimes the buyer is going to want some. They want the seller to help out with credit. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, so something like that. Right. So right. you're already twenty thousand dollars less from negotiating. You're gonna probably be another like what twelve thousand in yeah, you know, real estate commission fees on mm-hmm. a three eighty property. Yeah, what'd you say? 308,000? yeah. Yeah, so they're gonna be less about you know thirty to forty thousand dollars, if not a little bit more. So a seller is gonna make Keep that profit. They're going to make additional thirty to forty thousand dollars more. Plus, they're going to get interest on it. So now they're going to instead of losing that thirty to forty thousand, it's going to turn. Depending on how long they want to hold the note for, that could turn into 80,000 Because that becomes a note, and they're carrying it and they're collecting, making interest out of off of it. So then, what I'll do is I'll I'll say, okay, this is the note. We'll do the note like I say, three and a half percent. Then I'll turn around and sell that roughly like five or six percent. So that's kind of how I make that margin
0: so when, you, when you're walking through with your students, um, and I call them students, right? Or your, your, that's good. your, yeah. your, your joint venture partners, um, the ability to just kind of know really the, the laws and the ins and outs of um, that is really important, right? I mean, it's, it's just something that you got to continue to stay up on. And, you know, that's kind of why they reach out to you and, and you can mentor them through that.
1: Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, and um, and there's there's different. Um, I always tell people join your local, you know, the local real estate groups. Um, but now with today's technology with Zoom and everything, it's so easy. Um, just to network with many people with different experiences. And I'm, I always tell my students also, hey, you know, talk to this other investor. He's good at this, or I'm, or this one's good at this one. So with myself, um, I the kind of way I look at it is I have a tool belt on. So depending on the seller. Um, you pull out a different strategy, like different tool, you know, you're going to buy it straight cash because that house is a rundown and, you know, you know, it's a probate and the children don't want anything to do with it. They just want to sell the house. And so it's a fix and flip. So you're going to purchase that like 20% less of the value, or does the seller just need to get out of that property quick as possible lease options. So there's many different strategies. And I just, depending on the seller's needs, that's the tool belt that you pull out And a lot of, um, real estate investors, they only specialize in one of those strategies where I tend to know all of them and that's kind of how we tend to go about that. And I teach those people, hey, you know, do it this way. There's also what's called like contracts or deeds or land contracts. So there's a lot of different creative uh, ways to purchase property with very, with like literally no credit and poor credit.
0: Do a lot of the students, are they
1: learning to do kind of what you're doing or are they more interested in buying the properties themselves? Both, I've done both, I've helped both. Um, A lot of times once they learn it, they kind of like, oh, wow, I want to kind of get into it full time because they realize that they can make some pretty good cash flow. So my goal is, is like every year, um, I don't want to get big. I want to keep small. I've had different businesses over the year. I just want to kind of keep it on a small level. You know, I'm looking to purchase roughly about anywhere between three to five properties a month. Um, However, it's like they're coming in left and right for some reason. Last month, we did 11 of them that just fell in my lap. And I didn't want to do that many, yeah. So, so I just want to keep it small. Um, but what's happening a lot of times is I'll show them, but then they want to start. They want to build the portfolio up as well and add more value. Um, you know, my goal is like five hundred thousand dollars a year in add net worth, and uh, five thousand dollars more monthly cash flow, positive cash flow, and uh, and that's pretty much what I did last year during COVID. Believe it or not, just sitting at home and COVID was just like, you know, as much. Believe it or not, COVID was a for the real estate, do, buying virtually, it, was, it made it a lot easier. Instead of getting in a car, driving out there, you could speak to more people doing it virtually. Yeah, so, that, you know,
0: that, that that's an interesting topic. So, you know, with COVID, right, what was some of the challenges or things that you were able to add to? You kind of talked a little bit about it. But just when COVID hit, did you, what was kind of going through your mindset? Were you um, thinking that you got to read, read, re? uh Vitalize your business or what kind of things were you working on? Or was it just kind of an easy transition?
1: Well, when it first hit, like the first month, everything was going into chaos. And like, um, so I don't know if you, people don't, some people may know this, but Zillow, there's a couple other ones call, we call them iBuyers mm-hmm. and they're in markets and they're actually buying properties. They'll go out there and just automatically buy it based off of the algorithm, um, you know, you could sell your property through Zillow immediately. And that's Zillow's heading in that direction. So what happened was Zillow during that time period, canceled over 1500 contracts immediately, because they didn't know what was going to happen with the real estate market. And yeah, so everybody was freaking out. And then um, down here, I'm in Florida. um, I had people that had Airbnbs, and they were like freaking out, they were calling me up. So I was picking up um, airbnbs during that time period like sellers people just wanted to get rid of them they were worried because that was their business and they are you know some of these people were really tight margins um but so it took about um i say that the the hard part was mainly the title companies and closing agents they couldn't do the title researches and stuff because the courthouses were closed that is really what slowed down. And then some of the inspections, you know, the people going out doing inspections, but the sellers, um, doing stuff virtually and stuff, they had no problems, but I think the bottleneck was the title companies in the courthouse is trying to get the, the research on the, the land records and the properties and make sure there's like liens and getting all that stuff cleaned up. How did you like quote unquote, see the property? Would you just do a zoom call or just, um, I use, um, local realtors. I call them boots on the ground so um they'll go into the properties um do an inspection report let me know what the just like uh any other type of inspection and then and then if it's one that is needs a lot of improvement i'll actually hire a professional inspector and go out there you know check all the foundation making sure everything's good and up to par and and get an idea what the fix-up costs but a lot of these homes are i call them like pretty homes turnkeys that don't need a lot of work um you know those are uh those are the easy ones. I like those a lot because, you know, people take care of the homes and then whoever's buying the home, you know, if you're doing it on a rent-to-own or lease option or even owner financing, a lot of these I do owner financing, um, you know, I don't have any problems at all. I had one guy during COVID that, um, up in Ocala, Florida, that um, he uh, didn't want to buy the property, he wanted to move, so he just stopped paying on it. (laughs) And he knew during COVID that, Um, he couldn't have to be evicted or anything. So he just kind of worked a system, played it. So, you know, didn't he, I wasn't collecting any, any income on that for roughly about uh, six months, but I had to keep making my obligations on it. Um, but, uh, that guy wasn't hurt at all. We finally got him out, even though that they weren't allowing it. My attorney actually, uh, figured out, showed like, uh, we had to hire somebody showing that this guy was still making money. He wasn't hurt. So that's why the judge allowed him to get out of the property. But that was, it's only one guy. But, uh, that's part of the game, you know?
0: Well, it's, you know, it's interesting too, is you know, what, um, what COVID, you know, what I think it did for a lot of businesses uh, is helped either them realize that there's more efficient ways to do things, um, that a lot of big companies wouldn't have thought otherwise, right? Like, you know, having the virtual world really come alive to where they, they have been efficient. And, um it's just, you know, I think it's, it's been a challenging year for many. And I think there's also been a year for people where they were able to um, not take advantage, but benefit from, you know, the, uh, the pandemic. So I think it's just anytime as entrepreneurs, as we're running a business and, and growing, right. It's the ability to adapt to change. And sometimes, you know, take the blinds, like, like be open to the blind spots that, you know, that we may not always think that we have. Right. And just be able to adapt to look at different things and, and how can we um, persevere, persevere through this. And, it, you know, it, it's not always easy by any means, you know, yeah. there's a lot of, I, lot of anxiety and, and stress, but it, I think it can be, you know, you, you, I talk a lot about getting out of your comfort zone. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's really important that we try to live there. Um, because that, that allows us to to grow and continue to thrive, um, in, in any aspect, whether it's business or whether it's, you know, the mm-hmm. raising family or marriage or whatever it is, I feel like complacency can lead to a lot of just unhealthy things in my opinion.
1: But yeah, I I think it's kind of fun. I've been through a few, few of these cycles through the lifetime, you know, nine eleven was one where we had to adjust, um, during the housing crash, this was another one. And, um, I, I, Honestly, that's when you look for opportunities and you can find great opportunities. And if you, and I'm sure from this, there's going to be a lot of new companies that are going to become huge, like, you know, the, you know, like the DoorDash or the Ubers. And, you know, those, some of these big ones came out of the last uh, major crisis. So um, I like it. I always, I thrive on it and I kind of enjoy it and just find opportunities. And I've always done better during downtimes than (laughs) uptimes. I don't know why, but it's just, I find the opportunities and kind of go with and just kind of, you just got to you, you do you have to be very flexible and adapt and pushing yourself um you know pushing yourself to limits and like you said the, the comfort zone I'm always like all right what can I do next to be outside my comfort zone and it's it's you know always every day I'm always doing like I spend an hour a day I constantly learning something new and I kind of just constantly learning something and you know, i go for a bike ride along the beach or walk the beach and I'm always listening to a, like a podcast or audiobook or something just like always constantly learn something different um you know it's just you always want to kind of keep pushing even in business even in relationships um you know really uh even friendships you know with different friends and throughout different things um so whoops i thought i froze there for a moment so so we'll we'll pause no problem
0: so yeah no um so okay let me let me let me pause so color stop here and we'll we'll start over sure no problem So, yeah, the the ability to to just to continue to look at those. Now, it's interesting that because you were in the mortgage industry in 2008.
1: Yes. Right.
0: And that was that was a lot of a lot of mortgage companies or a lot of lenders went out of business. Yeah. You know, and that was a tough time for a lot. Uh, of.
1: Yeah, I actually adapted, ended up starting another business. And within a year, we ended up having 81 employees in that new business. And what business was that, Mark? We uh, actually, st- we, it was still tied to the mortgage business. It was doing loan modifications, right? Mm-hmm. And what happened was we hired mortgage underwriters from the mortgage industry. And then some of the servicing companies reached out to us. So we were helping them out with their overflow. So they, because we were hiring, because we knew a lot of people in the mortgage industry and they all lost their jobs. So like, hey, you know what? We're gonna, we put together a whole outsource of helping the banks and the lenders redo the loan modifications at that time. So, and then, um, so we had that business and we blew it up to 81 employees less than a year. Well, do you still have that business? Or did you sell that off? No, we got rid of that one. No, what happened was, um, the state of Florida changed the laws where to be in that industry, you had to be a law firm. So we sold that law. We had to sell it off to a law firm and that's how we shifted over to, and then I don't know if I mentioned before, but we ended up having a lead generation business, um, in the advertising agency for about 10 years as well. So what happened was we had so many leads coming in um, we had, and we, had, we were forced to kind of sell that because of the regulations and we fell into the lead generation by accident. So then we had quick um, clients like Quicken Loans, Bank of America, thousands of attorneys. And in several verticals, we actually were like one of the top three companies throughout the country, of, you know, selling leads and doing advertising and marketing. We actually ended up being a Google partner.
0: Wow, so it kind of God. just
1: fell into that by accident.
0: Was that lead gen for real estate mostly or was it? Um,
1: it was the finance. It was the mortgage world. You know, oh. it, was, it was loan mods, war, um, loan mods, then mortgage, reverse mortgage were big for a little while. Um, that was kind of the first thing that started coming back, the VAs and reverse mortgages. Mm-hmm. VAs were actually, I'm sorry. Oh. Um, and, then, and then things started coming back, um, but we were doing a lot of like, foreclosure defense, not foreclosure defense, a lot of loan mods helping the, the consumers and, and everybody going through the whole crisis. Millions and millions of people were behind in a mortgage payment. So they're reaching out to lenders and they had to like have the loan re-underwritten. And um, so like some of the lenders, like um, Quicken Loans, uh, not really Quicken Loans, loan Loans. L- what happens is a lot of times when a mortgage, when you close on a mortgage, it goes to a servicing company. Mm-hmm. And the servicing company is who we really worked with and we were helping them out with all the loan mods and they were servicing it for investors like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac and all those types of people. So we actually had um, a whole mortgage underwriting team that was doing all those files.
0: You know, a good takeaway from, from Mark here is that, you know, there's always opportunity. Um, Even when we, even in, in downside environments or downside markets, and we just have to kind of you know, look outside the scope of what our tunnel vision is. I mean, it's important to, you know, pick a lane and own that lane. But of course, when there's times to adapt to change, we got to be able to realize that there's other opportunities. And even if if the business is along the same lines, there's other opportunities and you just kind of have to take a little pivot and you can create um, great other streams of income and and, uh, other entrepreneur mindset operations and opportunities, really, you know. Um, What would be the one thing that you, you know, through your journey? I mean, you talked about, you know, how you grew up working at McDonald's, you know, and now here you are today, like what would be a a nugget or a a voice of wisdom or reason for people that are, you know, either wanting to get into real estate or even just into entrepreneurship or or running their own business? What would be something that you would share with them to say, this
1: is what I would say would be really important to, um, I I would say, listen to people, your, your friends, your family, customers, your employees, um, Listen to them because you're not always right. And it's always good to have other minds and getting feedback. And when I was younger in my 20s, I was like a little young and stupid and stubborn. Oh, it's my way. No, da, da, da. But as you grow, you kind of like listen and like, hey, wait a minute they could be right. And then you got to be open-minded to it and, and see, especially when you're growing a business and you get to points in business where you get stuck and it's hard to grow to that next level. And a lot of times that is, is because you're not listening and you, it could be written in front of you and your employees, or even your customers could see it, but you don't see it. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's probably one of the biggest things of just listening and letting your people grow and make your people part of your family, you know, just treat them. I always have a belief of like your customer, treat your employees, just like your customer, you know, and give them empower. I think that's probably one of the biggest things. And always constantly keep learning, learning from, you know, through others and other find somebody that's good mentors and you're going to outgrow that mentor and then just find another mentor and just kind of keep growing and just constantly learn and then also give back and help people along the way i i I enjoy that helping people and see them grow and i've had people that you know i I taught something and they surpassed me and i'm like oh that's great you know um that's probably one of the biggest things is just listening to other people and and get feedback not everybody's right but you can see different point of views where you may not see something what would be um, something
0: that you would say, okay, you know, throughout your experience, this is something that I would, you know, never do again, or, you know, things to um, think about as you're going, you know, things that I guess, what would be something that if you could take back, right. As a business owner, but like, like, as you have grown multiple companies, what would that be?
1: Um, I've like, some companies have been, some companies have been successful, but I've had a com- couple companies that weren't successful. And I would say, from my le- first lesson, when I grew up that one business and then I lost it all, is like I dipped in the other business where I lost it all. I had sixty employees, and I had dipped into my own personal savings for two months to cover payroll. I would say limit your like if you're gonna if you're sinking if your business is struggling and it's going backwards limit your cutoff point of how far you're going to take it and that lose everything. Um, you know, have your, have a line of, of how much money you're going to put in or how long you're going to go until you let that company go. Because a lot of times a company may not be might be going in the wrong direction and eventually it could go bankrupt but you're trying to keep that company going as long as it's possible you got to know when to pull that plug and not lose everything that's probably and i did and i learned that in my late 20s and early 30s in that one business where i lost 90 percent of my savings because i dipped into payroll that's probably one of the biggest learning and if i had that money and i saved it i'll be in a whole different position probably even later on but it was it was a learning experience i'm glad i learned that when i was young
0: because you know when you're the business is oftentimes your baby right and it's just like you're doing and and you just believe in it right and you're just doing everything you possibly can to hang on but sometimes it's important to step back look at the financials and look at okay is it time to you know make other decisions and um you know because again listen to people right and listen and try to take your blinders off because again we can get so entrenched in what we're doing and we think we can get out of it and sometimes it's just you know maybe we've got to make a different course change um and it can have a big impact so awesome
1: yeah i'm sure you've seen some of these people that on shark tank you know they've been in there and it's their baby and they're telling them advice from like five people that are you know ex- extremely successful and they're trying to butt heads with them so that that's probably one of the biggest things that I, was my learning experience but you you hit the nail on the head on that absolutely awesome Man,
0: I really appreciate you being on here today. Um, if people wanna reach out to you and get in contact with you, um, how can they reach you and, and uh, connect with you?
1: Sure, um, probably uh, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm Mark Monroe out of Boca Raton. Um, my website is tiassets.com. Uh, um, but a lot of times if you're on social media and Facebook, I have a pretty big group in there uh, called Creative Real Estate Investing. Uh, just search for that. And, um, you can follow me. I'm always active in there. I'm always giving feedback and helping people for free and just giving them advice. Um, but yeah, that's probably the best way of reaching out to me.
0: Awesome. And again, um, thanks for being on the show. And for those of you that are listening, um, please write comments and like, and subscribe. Um, I think there's just a lot of great content out here. And again, please write reviews, um, give us some feedback of things that you might like to hear, want to hear. Um, and maybe even post some things that you got out of this conversation. It would be fantastic. So Mark, again, I really appreciate you being on and uh, best of luck to you in 2021, man.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for the hospitality. Bye, right, buddy. Take care. You too.